So what would you think about just skipping Advent this year? Advent is about waiting. And to be quite honest, I am pretty tired of waiting. I saw a tweet the other day that said, Advent is like pouring ketchup out of a glass bottle rather than a plastic squeeze bottle. When you pour it out of a glass bottle, you just have to wait. You can shake it or you can hit it. You can bang it on the bottom, but it doesn't help. You just have to wait. Personally, right now, I would like a plastic bottle. Thank you very much. Welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but Rather Uncertain. Just very quickly before we get going here, if you haven't followed my new Facebook page, I would love for you to do it. Just search for Deeply Spiritual But Rather Uncertain, and then be sure to hit the follow button so that the posts end up in your feed. Next year, I want to put a lot more content there, and so I'm just trying to get everything in order now for that. So if you haven't done so, please do. As we lead up to Christmas, I want to do a couple of episodes around Advent. You may be listening to this at a completely different time of the year that has nothing to do with Advent, but please don't shut this off because I think what we're going to talk about is incredibly relevant no matter when you are actually listening. But because so many of you listen in real time, I know December is quite a busy month. So I'm going to try to keep these a little bit shorter than usual just to um, honor your time and your busy schedules at this time of year. Maybe you don't even know what Advent is. So let me just back up a little bit. Advent is the beginning of the Christian liturgical calendar that has been celebrated for a couple thousand years in many churches all over the world. It's the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas. It's a time to prepare our hearts for what is to come, a time to prepare him room, as the old Christmas carol puts it. So in week one of Advent, the subject is hope. And that's what I want to talk a bit about today. Because hope is a relevant topic at any time of the year, and especially in 2020. So where does one find hope in such uncertain times like we have now? The COVID virus is rampant all over our world as I write this. There were more deaths in America yesterday than any other day since the virus started. And here in South Africa, our numbers are on the rise once again. There's a bit of hope on the horizon with the vaccine, but I'm amazed at how many people say they're not going to take it. I had a friend that asked the question on social media the other day, and the overwhelming answer from his friends was an emphatic no. So for lots of people, the perspective of the vaccine doesn't even seem to bring hope to this crisis. Then, of course, we just went through the U.S. elections. I am amazed at how the entire world seems to have such a strong opinion on this subject. 
Here in South Africa, I have seen people fighting over which side is right, and they don't even have any skin in the game. Many people in America, like more than seven million of them actually, are deeply disappointed at the outcome of the election. And not just disappointed, many of them are feeling a real sense of despair and hopelessness as they look at the situation. So the question for all of us is where do we find hope? When the situation seems hopeless, where is hope found? I know that the standard Christian answer is, my hope is in Jesus. And on one level, I get that, but on another level, I just don't know what that means. Is, is my hope that Jesus will just come in and magically end the pandemic? Because when I look at history, it does not seem to be his modus operandi. Or is my hope that Jesus will keep me from getting the virus? I'm sure God could do that. But then what about the other Christians that have gotten it and some that have died? Did they just not put their hope in Jesus properly? And if I get the vaccine, does it mean my hope isn't in Jesus? So I'm not sure my hope is in Jesus is a great answer to the question of where do we find hope in uncertain times. So let's take a look at where hope was found by the Jewish people some 2,500 years ago and we'll see if their story can become our story. In around 587 BC, Israel was invaded by Babylon. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed, the sacred temple was ransacked, and the best and the brightest of the Israelites were taken into exile in Babylon. It was as hopeless a situation as people could find themselves in. And yet there were some prophets who still spoke hope into all that hopelessness. Prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah and especially Ezekiel. But I love this passage by Jeremiah, where he tells the people about how to move forward in exile. Yes, your homes are destroyed. And yes, you are in a new land where you don't know the language and the food is horrible. And yes, the temple has been destroyed, so there's no way to offer sacrifices and find forgiveness. And yes, your whole life has been ripped from your hands. But then he says this, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that they may have many, many grandchildren. Jeremiah says that in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of what seems absolutely hopeless, just get on with your lives. Build homes, plant gardens, have kids, enjoy your grandkids. Get on with life. Don't just sit around and complain and talk about the good old days. No, no, no. Move 
forward is what Jeremiah is saying. And then he makes this radical statement following the part about the grandchildren. He says, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where you are sent into exile. Their welfare will determine your welfare. Wait, wait, wait. You, you mean this evil, vile city that doesn't even believe in God? Yep. Do you mean these people who took us into exile? Yes. You mean you want me to work for the peace and the prosperity here for them? Exactly. And if you read on, it actually gets worse. He says, hey, this is only going to last 70 years. 70 years? You have got to be kidding. Am I supposed to be encouraged by that? I remember when the first lockdown happened back at the end of March here in South Africa. 14 days it was. We couldn't go out of the house without a permit. We couldn't walk the dog or go for a run. We couldn't buy alcohol or even go to McDonald's because it was all outlawed. Two weeks. It seemed like an eternity. And then about 10 days into it, the president came on TV and said it was going to last another 21 days. 28 days in total was bad enough. But 70 years? And then if you keep reading, all of this is in Jeremiah 29. You can go check it out. But if you keep reading, there's a passage that probably most of you know, Jeremiah 29, 11. And God says, the plans that I have for you are that you will prosper in exile. You get that? See, our hope isn't in the fact that Jesus will make everything better. Our hope is that he is there with us in exile. We want to read Jeremiah 29, 11 in a way that Jesus takes us out of exile, but that's not what's going on here. It's about God being with us in the exile. It's about God moving forward with us in exile. Now let me take you to the book of Lamentations. I don't read Lamentations very often because it's a book of lament. And who likes lament? It's just depressing. It's lament, it's, it's poetry actually, and it's really not unlike the art of spoken word today. It speaks with raw emotion to the situation at hand. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. In chapter 3, it begins by lamenting on how horrible everything is in exile. And the poet completely blames God for every bit of it. Now, please understand that this isn't meant to be read as theology. It doesn't tell us who God is or what God is like. It tells us how the poet feels in the moment. And he and the people of Israel feel like God has deserted them. God has abandoned them. God has let them down. It is God's fault. Let me read you a few verses. God has made me chew on gravel. He has rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away, and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out. My splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord 
is lost. That seems pretty hopeless. But then three verses later, the poet pivots to something else. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The contemporary theologian Walter Bergman calls three words that are in those four lines as, as pivot words of faith. Those words are steadfast love, mercies, or he interprets it as compassion, and faithfulness. Three great pivot words of faith. In other words, in the midst of loss and uncertainty, in the midst of the lament, they pivot and they remember God's steadfast love, compassion, and faithfulness. They remember all the times God has come through for them. They remember that steadfast love, compassion, and faithfulness are not just things that God does. It is who God is. These three pivot words, steadfast love, compassion, and faithfulness, is the, at the heart of the very nature of God. And then the poet continues right after that. He says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, therefore, I will hope in God. In other words, because I have experienced God's steadfast love and compassion and faithfulness, I will choose to put my trust, my hope in God because I know God is here in the exile. If I'm honest, that is the one thing that has kept me here in the midst of all my uncertainty and my deconstruction, and at times really feeling like an exile because much of what I believed had been blown out of the water. I have experienced God's steadfast love, compassion, and faithfulness. It's not that I just read about it. It's not the Bible says it, so I believe it. It's not a promise that I claim. It's something I have lived. I have experienced it. And for me, I just can't walk away from that. But to take this a step further, my future is not shaped by the crap that is going on all around me. My future is not shaped by a virus or by who the president of the United States is. My future is shaped by God's steadfast love, compassion, and faithfulness. My hope is in the very character of God. The prophet Isaiah gave us these words that he attributed to God. While the people were in exile for 70 years, God says, for I am about to do something new. Not 70 years from now, I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? 
I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Yes, you are in exile, but there is something new that is going to happen. It's not going to look like it did before. We are not going back to the way things used to be, to the way it was before. We are moving forward to a different way of being. Something new is coming in the midst of the exile. How fantastic is that? But let me wrap this up because I, I promised you that I would be short. So here's what I would say in all of this. I believe that God is here at work in the exile. I believe that God is calling us forward to a new way of being in the exile. And I believe that the future, the way forward, is defined by God's steadfast love, God's compassion, and God's faithfulness. And in that, I find hope. Have a great week. Shalom.